here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 106.6 FM in Mangaung. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. This is uh, Late Night Conversations as we go into our social conversation and we will be speaking about uh, traditional beliefs, myths and misconceptions around the attitude we have as Africans around disability and why it matters so much for us to be able to be well informed about the various disabilities that are in in Africa and how we as Africans need to change our mindset when it comes to various beliefs, when it comes to um, disabilities. And um, joining us today, all the way from Nigeria, we've got uh, Dr. Elvis Imafidon. And uh, Dr. uh, Imafidon is from the University of Ambrose Ali University, Nigeria, Faculty of Art and the Department of Philosophy. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Imafidon. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for inviting me. It's such a great pleasure. We looked at your article and we saw how important it is for us as uh, Africans to just unite when it comes to educating ourselves around disabilities. And you can only imagine what uh, people living with disabilities experience on a daily basis and families living with people with disabilities experience on a daily basis. We are aware that in many African countries, South Africa is no exception, that a range of beliefs and attitudes underpin um, some of the uh, you know, alternative explanations of why a person has a disability or what should be done traditionally or religiously or culturally or some supernatural world. You know? So maybe give us an understanding as to why is it so important for Africans to know the truth around disability as opposed to carrying the myths that we have? Yeah. Um, once again, thank you, Patricia. Um, I think um, um, understanding the issues surrounding disability and also lack of access to accurate knowledge about about um, different forms of disability in Africa uh, can be understood from the African conception of personhood. Who is a person? Um, to the Africans. Um, African beliefs are quite interwoven. They are uh, interrelated. And in any, in any African community, a person is um, someone who is, um, uh, socially speaking, responsible, uh, lives a community-accepted moral life, um, has a family, raises a family, uh, lives to ripe old age, dies and joins the ancestors. Um, so, when a person is seen, and, and descriptively speaking, uh, a person in an African community is one who is melanin-privileged, someone often in melanin, black-brown skin. And so when someone doesn't fit within the description of personhood um, uh, for one form of disability or the other, the person is the uh, human being now, taking as less of a person than others. And then, because the person is different, the society then forms various theories, various beliefs to explain the nature of that thing. And so these beliefs have been so deeply entrenched into human society that they tend to um, reveal the truth about 
that we now take to be the facts or truth about such disabilities. Uh, you need to understand that at the time these beliefs were formed, um, the empirical or scientific facts about these disabilities were barely available. They were not available as we have them in modern times. Uh, people saw something different and they needed to experience. Uh, I'll give you an example. Albinism, for instance. There's the understanding that in pre-colonial times, in um, indigenous societies and communities in Kenya and um, East Africa, um, when a person with albinism is born, he was visibly, visibly different. And people needed to understand what exactly uh, are we confronted with. And then as the person grew up, it was obvious that this person could not survive in a purely agrarian society. These are agrarian societies where you have to go to farm to fend for yourself and for family. And these people could not, these, these um, persons with abinism could not go to the farm. When they go to the farm, they get burnt by the sun, they have skin cancer, and then gradually they die because there were no sunscreen and stuff like that to care for these persons. So how could this be explained? There were no scientific explanations. And the only way they could explain it to the mothers of persons with abinism were to tell them that uh, this is um, uh, an evidence of a cause, or this is a punishment from the ancestors, and so uh, the child should be thrown to the evil forest or something of that nature. So in that way, they provided an explanation. Whether it was false or not, it was an explanation for an event. And then they were able to deal with that situation, although very badly or very poorly, as it, as it turned out to be. So these beliefs are so deeply entrenched, people take them to be uh, the actual explanation of things in African communities, and they tend to become an epistemic barrier to truth, to the actual truth about these disabilities in African societies. This is uh, SAFM leading the late night conversation. We've got uh, Dr. Elvis Imafondon, who is an author as well, and we're going to speak a bit about his book. Um, but he's also a doctor at uh, the Ambrose Ali University in Nigeria, uh, Faculty of Art in the Department of Philosophy. Doctor, you know, after the break, I'd like us to perhaps go into your book because you speak a lot about persons with albinism. And I'd like you to maybe just share, Leaf, why you were intrigued to write such a book and also give awareness. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can do so by calling us on 0891-104-207 or you can call 011-714-4045. Our WhatsApp number is 0614-104-107. Late Night Conversations. Late Night Conversations. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Late Night Conversations on uh, SAFM. My name is Patricia Ntuli. I'm with the A-Team as always. And we are in our social conversations 
talking about the traditional beliefs informing the attitudes around disability in Africa and why it matters so much. Talking to us about this is our guest all the way from Nigeria at the Ambrose Ali University, Dr. Elvis Imafidon. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can do so by calling on 011-714-4045 or 891 You can also WhatsApp us on 614 Dr. Imafidon, thank you very much for staying on the line with us. We really appreciate your time. Now, there is a message that I've just received here from Mkulu in Mpumalanga. And Mkulu says, um, yeah, so Mkulu says, oh, no, no, no. So the, the person's name is Sandros Ndlovu, who lives in Mkulu in Mpumalanga. And they say, it's not persons living with disabilities, but persons with disabilities. Doctor, could you please help us understand what is the socially and politically correct way to address Dr. Imafidon, are you Hello? there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get your last question, please. Can you repeat it? So the question that comes from our listeners says, it's not persons living with disabilities, but persons with disabilities. So what is the correct socially and politically way of addressing people? Yeah, there's no uh, universally accepted way of, of expressing of expressing it. Uh, for a while, I used persons with disability because um, there was a general uh, idea in scholarship that um, the being of, of persons should be recognized first before whatever they go through. So um, so for that, it's better to say, for instance, uh, persons with disability or persons with albinism or persons with angular kyphosis or something like that. Uh, but recently... Um, uh, some disabled persons say, this is who they are, this is my being, this is who I am. Um, um, I'm albino, I'm, uh, I'm epileptic, so simply just um, recognize me by who I am, rather than saying I'm a person with epilepsy. I'm simply an epileptic person, um, I'm an albino, I'm not a person with albinism. So basically, it's still contested, and there's no hard and fast rule about it. Um, personally, I still use person with disability or person with albinism. Excellent. Thank you very much for setting it clear for us, Doctor. But obviously, you've just said there's no hard set rule as long as you are being respectful and understanding. Let us uh, go to the line before I give you the opportunity to just tell us what inspired the book that you wrote uh, titled, um, the book you titled, The Handbook of African Philosophy of a Difference. But before we go there, Tango, who's in uh, KZN, is on the line. Tango, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good evening, ma'am. Um, it's Tango. Tango. Like yes. the dance. All right, sure. Tango. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, I'm visually impaired, which means I'm blind, right? And uh, I, I have this problem. And this problem is, uh, I think uh, the schools should be teaching the children to respect people with disabilities. Because on the way, while we're walking, I'm orientated, so I move with the cane. Understand? Now, you get these children that just, like, laugh at you or they, they, they're making fun and they're asking questions to themselves. Okay, I'm, I'm, in the, uh, I'm uh, English-speaking, so I understand Zulu because I've been in college. Uh, in fact, I'm a qualified switchboard operator. I went and studied and so on. And, and then there I found at college, like, 90% of 
people who are, uh, are visually impaired are our black brothers and sisters. I learned Zulu, I learned uh, Tosa, Sutu, and so on. And we continue studying, but uh, one thing I fail to understand is in our rural areas, we get, there's a lot of maybe blind people there or disabled people maybe in the wheelchairs. But what I find is that these people, they make mockeries out of the disabled people. Then the next thing is, like when you go with somebody, you are with somebody in a busy place, maybe you go to town or something. Then you find when you go to consult somebody, they are not talking to you now. They are referring to the person who you are with as though you now cannot talk. You understand? So I think uh, most of the people or, 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 or all the people should have been aware of the disabled people. If a blind person comes to you, the person is not dumb. The person can talk. So at the end of the day, they should be directly talking to that person. You understand? Because it's like kind of an embarrassment. Maybe I, I just took a friend who does not know much about me. And that person is now referring to that person and asking that person questions instead of referring to me when I came with that inquiry, you understand? Mm-hmm. But moreover, uh, uh, we, we, we start with and so on and so on. But at the end of the day, we also find that there's no job opportunities for us. So at the end of the time, it becomes a very difficult situation. Maybe sometimes you're boarding the taxi or you're boarding the bus. Okay, we have people there. Maybe the conductor probably will help us along and find a place for us, a convenient place for us to sit as such. But uh, it's, a, it's a total struggle. And uh, most of the disabled um, people who, who, who are in authority would say to us that uh, the government, uh, it's difficult to, 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 to communicate to the government. At the end of the day, while we go and we study and still we cannot get jobs. So, I, ma'am, I don't know. It's like the disabled people are, are sidelined and everyone is forgotten about them. Tell because with the, grant, the, the grant that we collect, mm-hmm. okay, I'm a, I'm a switchboard operator and uh, probably my, my, my salary probably be in between four or six grand a month, right? Mm-hmm. I'm surviving with one eight a month. Now, I have a wife, I have a child. How do I continue? Yet, I have certificates, I'm sitting with certificates, I give out my, my, my CVs, and but still, I don't know. Maybe we just put aside and no one is concerned about us. You know, Tango, I really hear your frustrations, and I think you've mentioned frustration on two levels. The one level is on a society level where people don't have enough awareness around uh, people with disabilities and you have experienced this. How do you then propose this could be um, addressed because it's on a social level? Um, I think those that are example schools, schools, they should be taught at the end of the day because sometimes our grannies, our uncles that are elderly and so on, are blind, sometimes they are wheelchairs and so on. You don't laugh at them. But when, when you get to people on the street that you see, then you want to mock them and you want to laugh. Now, I would totally disagree when one says the upbringing of the children, because your parents are not going to teach you to laugh at somebody disabled. You understand? Yes. And at the end of the day, it's the friends that they join that they want to make fun of everybody. So I think they should be cautioned at times. And I'm never, ever going to blame parents and say the upbringing, because uh, a child could be uh, 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 an angel at home. But when they come out on the street, they're devils. You understand what I'm saying? So I will never, ever bring it upon the parents. But I think that uh, they should be aware at school. They should should 
give them some awareness, even at home, now and again, the parents should tell them. Because as I'm saying to you, if you go to the colleges, you see how many disabled people there, and at the end of the day, you get surprised yourself. But mm-hmm. then when you come back to society, their society is laughing at you, they're looking at you so strangely, like maybe you, 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 you're a spook or something. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? I'm, and I, the, we the, hear you, Tango. People are telling you all that there at the end of the day, and ish, ma'am. It's very frustrating. And then as I'm saying about jobs as well, that's yes. exactly what they do to us. Yes. Thank you so very much for relating your story, Tango. I just uh, do hope that there's someone in authority that is listening in today and also that a lot of people could go out and get uh, this uh, particular book so that you get awareness of what, um, you know, we need to remove from our mindsets as Africans when it comes to people with disabilities. Thank you so very much, Tango, for joining us this evening. Now, I've also got a message here, um, Dr. Emma Fadon, and this message is from Soli. Soli is in Ladysmith in KZN, and he says, Hi, Mum Bele. I think there is no, not enough education in Africa with regards to people living with disabilities. It should be a lifelong education. Furthermore, I think African languages need to be improved or developed to have African names which define albinism and other conditions. What's your take on this, Dr. Imafadon, that our African cultures, our African uh, languages are not inclusive of such, hence we end up having such misconceptions? I, I, I totally agree with Tony and um, um, the message uh, you just read. I, I think the issue has to do with um, education for enlightenment. You see, uh, we live in a society, a society where medical doctors, professors still hold Really, to these um, false beliefs about disability. Um, persons with disabilities in Nigeria, in Ghana, in, in sub-Saharan African states go to the hospital for healthcare. And even the way they are looked at by healthcare professionals, by nurses, by doctors, uh, simply robs them of the joy of going to such a place for, for treatment because. These persons still live by the same um, ideas that they've they've uh, they've kind of uh, assimilated in their cultures and in their communities. So, although they are educated, although they've acquired knowledge um, for a particular profession, they do not have enlightenment. They are not enlightened, and I think that is where we are getting getting it wrong. Most of the efforts to um, improve the well-being of persons with disabilities in, in Africa has often been targeted at uh, government uh, policies and so on and so forth. And not at the grassroots. We need to do more to enlighten the people themselves, the people who hold these beliefs. You know, and as I mentioned, school, uh, you know, which is simple curriculum, uh, we talk about uh, curriculum decolonization every day. And these are some of the things we, we need to do. The, the young kids in school should know why, why their classmate has white skin and they have black skin. They should know why somebody, some, someone is blind. They should know why someone has seizures because of epilepsy and so on and so forth. And once they start assimilating this in at an early age, by the time they are in college, by the time they are in the university, they, they see that's just part of life. It's not something strange. But most of the time, this, this is not the case. I don't think we have um, curriculum even in primary school that educates children about different forms of disabilities and how they are gotten, you know, in very simple terms. And that's why the message about language is very important.
because know that we do not have language uh, representing these various forms of disabilities in Africa. Rather, the language is there, they are exclusive in nature. Uh, you call person with ability in zoo, for instance, a mini ghost or something like that. And, and that excludes him as a person already from being a human being, from being a person. So we need, as the, the person said in the last message, we actually need um, to refine our languages, you know, to be more inclusive. Um, uh, there's nothing static. We cannot take our language to be completely static and then do not improve on it. We have to try and improve on it and allow access for people to have accurate knowledge about these disabilities. Yes, yes, Doctor, definitely. Let, uh, please take us through the inspiration around the book that you have written um, that does talk uh, to the Africans and the way we perceive people with disabilities and the the notions. What made you write the handbook of African philosophy of difference? Yeah, um, the handbook of African philosophy of difference was released this year. Um, It's a collection of essays by various authors, but I'd like to speak about the main one where I spoke about disability, uh, which was released last year. African Philosophy and the Orderness of Abinism, um, published by the Pledge last year. Um, it's a book about Abinism in Africa and, and more generally about disability in Africa. Um, my reason for writing it was both personal and professional. Uh, I myself am a person with Abinism. I grew up in an African community. I, I, I can see and maybe stigma, the discrimination, and of course the love I felt from members of my family. And you know, when you live in such um, a dilemma, you love, you are loved by some persons, hated by some persons. Of course, it's what life is about. But when it says in your face uh, on a daily basis, you know, the someone getting up from your seat when you sit down because he or she doesn't want to be close to you and so on and so forth. So there was this um, lived experience that I had as a person with abilities. But there was a professional um, reason. I, I, I was trained, uh, I've been trained as a philosopher. Uh, my first degree, my second and my PhD in philosophy. And so basically, um, I specialize in African philosophy. So. So using my knowledge, my expertise in African philosophy to interrogate a, a lived experience in Africa, which is disability in general or abilism in particular. So um, I did an in-depth study of abilism, how it comes into being, the knowledge surrounding it, how those knowledge are in the first place manufactured, um, how they are systematically um, uh, entrenched into society and how people just live by them without questioning them. And then talk about the ethics of uh, disability and abilities, uh, such as the burden of care um, by caregivers um, and the gender issues, how women with abilities and mothers of children with abilities are more affected sometimes than other persons with abilities. And then I concluded the book mainly by suggesting ways how of uh, ways how our education can be restructured to help persons understand these uh, disabilities better and also improve the well-being of persons with disabilities. 
Um, and I realized that it is not only the community members who do not have disabilities um, that assimilate these false beliefs about disability. The persons with disabilities themselves assimilate it, and it leads to, it leads to, it leads to a low-life estate. They feel they are not worth living. They feel that they are not good enough, basically. Uh, a person with disability could see himself as someone who is not... Um, who cannot succeed in life. So accepting the fact that I'm not I'm not a human being, I'm not good enough. Mm. You know. So even the persons with disability assimilate these beliefs and live by them. Not many persons with disability know that staying under the sun for a long period of period of time, being outdoors for a long period of time could lead to some bond. So they go to farm, they walk outdoors and then they have these um sun bonds and bath sores on the body and it just leads to more frustration, you know, because we do not have accurate knowledge of the condition. So the so book is basically a yeah. way to educate society, educate individuals living with um, disabilities yeah, and so also it's society. Not just educating, yeah, it's not just educating the community members um, who um, see this, these persons with disabilities as different. It also involves educating the persons with disability themselves. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in Malawi some time ago, um, person, person who had epilepsy had seizures, and basically it's interpreted as uh, he, she's been taken over by demons or by evil spirits, you know, particularly when the seizure is taking place. And whenever it's about happening, this same person feels as if it's the evil spirits that are taking over me, you know. So basically, she's also not aware that she's having seizures. So both the community members and the person with disability are suffering from the same lack of knowledge. So it's not just about educating the community members, but very important as well is educating the persons with disability on how to live by the condition and manage it. Thank you so very much, uh, Doctor. I think uh, what would be befitting right now is just for me to close off with this particular uh, message and then you'll give us your contact details. Neville in Mal- Neville Malvern says, the so- socialization and education in South Africa must change if inclusion becomes real. We yet to realize inclusive education still very much exclusionary. So we need to include everyone within our education system. Doctor, we really really appreciate your time. How can people be in touch with you? Yeah, um, we are starting uh, a program in Africa, um, Disability and, and Disability and, Af- and Inclusion Africa uh, project. And our website, if you Google Disability and Inclusion Africa, you'll be able to get it into our website. And myself and Dr. Charlotte Baker at Lancaster University in UK, uh, hosting the website and we have several workshops, several programs lined up in the next two years Excellent. to try to see how we can um, improve the well-being of persons with disability in Africa. Excellent. Thank you so very much, Dr. Alvis Imafidon. We really appreciate your time. Let's go over to the news with Zolega Kodashi.